This is the Comstock Report Podcast. We are strong advocates for the American family farm and your top source for the agriculture markets. And now, here's your host, David Cruz. This is Matthew Cruz with the Comstock Report. The interest in decarbonizing our society is surging in popularity as investors and advocates look for ways to reverse the impact of climate change. This trend is being propelled forward by Wall Street investors who have seen the success of companies like Tesla and Impossible Foods. One research firm estimates that last year investors dumped $500 billion into energy transition investments, encompassing everything from transportation to agriculture. Companies like Microsoft, Amazon, and Apple are vowing to remove any and all greenhouse emissions generated by their respective companies in the not-too-distant future. Even oil and gas companies, long despised by environmentalists, are being forced either by shareholders or public pressure to showcase some sort of plan to reduce their carbon footprint. Whether companies really believe in this or not is somewhat irrelevant. They can tell which way the wind is blowing and a climate-friendly corporate message makes the stock price go up. I recently heard of the CEO of Green Plains, the publicly traded ethanol production company, speak about their company. He did not refer to themselves as an ethanol company, but rather a carbon-friendly, renewable biofuel refinery. He knows how to craft the message. It is no longer enough to have a climate-friendly statement buried someplace in your annual report. It has to be on the front of your webpage. The ultimate goal here is to become more sustainable. Of course, how we become more sustainable and who determines that is not yet clear. Unlike accounting with its universal standards, there is no generally accepted sustainability practices. Furthermore, those that have been early adopters of sustainability practices have done so at their own peril. Cover crops, for example, while growing in popularity, are still experimental in a large part of the Corn Belt. There are more people signing up for carbon credit programs than there are people actually getting paid for carbon credits. That doesn't mean it is a bad thing. It just means that there's more interest in solid opportunity at this point, and it will take time to develop. Organic farming is old news. Even being sustainable may not be enough anymore. The new buzzword is regenerative. Regenerative agriculture is a diverse approach utilizing various sustainable conservation practices that seek to rebuild soil health. It seeks to rebuild topsoil and organic matter through some form of minimal tillage, cover crops, organic fertilizer, crop rotation, and several other practices. While many farmers have already been utilizing these practices, widespread adoption will be limited as there is not always an immediate and discernible payback for this. Farm managers and land appraisers are being asked by conservation groups and investors to provide information on how soil health improvement programs can increase the value of land. The answer so far is that there is none. There is no sales data available to determine if there is or is not a change in value directly related to regenerative practices. Even in places like southeast Iowa where adoption of cover crops has been well received, there is no distinction in market value. Land values are still based on cost, income, and sales. The more a farm makes, the higher it should bring at auction. The point here is that while farmers are open to more conservation practices, the speed at which they incorporate these practices are largely dependent upon their bottom line. If these practices cost them money, even in the short term, they will be slow to adopt them. I use cover crops extensively in Brazil. Millet was widely used following soybeans as it was cheap, it grew quickly, and was easy to burn down the following season. 
It was not a silver bullet, and so it didn't always work. In fact, it only seemed to work well on about 50% of the area, as the later seeded areas usually got less rainfall and germination was poorer. However, the area that it did work well on still made it worth the effort. It was difficult to determine the value it provided, as most of the benefits would be reaped over a long period of time. It would boost organic matter, reduce weed pressure, keep soils cooler, but none of these things would necessarily improve the value of the land. There are dozens of options out there that are willing to support the cost, but the learning process can be arduous. Most of these companies are still learning themselves and how this works. There is financial aid available through the NRCS, but there is a long line of interested parties and not enough resources to go around. The Midwest Row Crop Collaborative, for example, seeks to enroll 30 million acres in the Midwest by the year 2030 with practices that support improved outcomes for soil health, greenhouse gases, and water quality. Companies like Cargill, Walmart, and Pepsi are governing members. It is clear to them that if their customers want their food to be produced sustainably, they are going to have to bear some portion of the cost, the key word being some. Most of the financial assistance provided does not even cover the entire cost of cover crop adoption, let alone the extra headache that comes with it. If you are already looking to adopt cover crops, it makes sense, but this is by no means free money. You are listening to the Comstock Report. For more information on marketing opportunities, visit us online at Comstock.com or call 712-227-1110. For a more complete version of the Comstock Report with hedging strategies and trade recommendations, subscribe on our website at Comstock.com or reach out to one of our risk management specialists about how we can help you protect your profits.